This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and coming up, we'll talk to Dan Jones from Campbell and Pound Real Estate appraisers. Dan always has some good insight into the state of our real estate market. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. If you have a dog, the SPCA is warning to watch for signs of kennel cough. They say there seems to be an unusual and uh, nasty strain popping up in the province. So far, the SPCA says it's seen 24 cases of kennel cough in its facilities, and more are being reported in communities around BC. So far, the BC SPCA says none of the dogs in this outbreak have become seriously ill. They're all recovering, but they are concerned by how aggressively this strain has spread between dogs, even if they weren't in close content uh, contact. What's scariest is most of the affected dogs were vaccinated. So while the SPCA still recommends the kennel cough vaccine, it looks like this current strain of the virus is not part of the current vaccine. The most obvious symptom is a strong cough that comes with a honking sound. And if you've ever seen your dog cough, you know it's kind of disturbing. Other signs include a runny nose, sneezing, lethargy, loss of appetite, and a low fever. Pet owners are urged to isolate their dogs if they start to cough and uh, get to the vet. The SPCA is working with specialists to try and find the cause of the outbreak. Starting this Monday, Americans will start coming across the border into Canada for non-essential travel. They'll have to have been fully vaccinated, and the move will be a big boost to tourism on this side of the border. But still, many here say it's too soon especially with the COVID numbers on the rise here in BC, but especially in the United States. Also, the U.S. still hasn't reciprocated the border uh, and opened it up to us. After opening its border to Americans in August, the Canadian government plans to welcome international visitors starting September 7th. Of course, a spike in cases could mean that's all pushed back. Canada's borders have been closed to non-essential travel since March of 2020. Meantime, a new report says more than 400 international flights landing in this country last month were carrying positive cases of COVID-19, despite a mandatory requirement for negative tests before people get on a plane. The Toronto Sun is reporting that most of these 435 flights, 133 of them arrived from the U.S. Amsterdam topped the infection rate for overseas planes at 31 but double-digit numbers were from Paris, Istanbul, Frankfurt, Mexico City, and London. The bulk of the infected passengers landed in Toronto and Montreal, however. The Public Health Agency of Canada issued uh, fines recently to two passengers arriving in Toronto from the U.S. during the week of July 18th for non-compliance with entry requirements. As a result, each of these passengers paid fines totaling nearly $20,000 for submitting false documentation and failing to comply with quarantine and testing requirements. And a little girl in Chilliwack has shown some entrepreneurial spirit, and she's raised nearly 3500 bucks 
to help those who lost everything in the Lytton wildfire. Nine-year-old Emily Lowen of Chilliwack was so moved when she was watching the news coverage of the Lytton fire, she decided to open a lemonade stand, raise a little money to help. In her words, they needed money to build stuff. According to Emily's dad, she's got a big heart. Uh, The original plan was to set up a stand for a week, selling a cup of lemonade for $2 and make as much money as she could. But then it took off. Local firefighters visited and posted on their social media one day. Uh, On another, 100 people from a motorcycle club stopped by and they bought all the lemonade that Emily had. And uh, encouraged by her parents and often joined by her seven-year-old stepsister, Savannah Tickle, and best friend and neighbor, 12-year-old Gracie McKinnon, it became a true community effort, and it ended with the mayor of Lytton, Jan Polderman, visiting the lemonade stand in Chilliwack and picking up the check personally. So good on you, Emily. Emily Lowen of Chilliwack. This is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, some great insights into our real estate market with Dan Jones. He's with Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. And we will talk to him next when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. Three, two, one. Now think about all the real estate you've ever looked at, uh, any, you know, maybe you bought a house, maybe you were looking at a house. Now multiply that by a few thousand at least, because my next guest has dedicated his life to looking and appraising real estate, both residential real estate, commercial real estate. He's Dan Jones, president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, campbell-pound.com. And Dan is with us now. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing very well, Martin. How are you today? Very, very well. And uh, I, I'm just wondering about, uh, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit of a break from the heat, but the past month has been so hot. What does heat do to the value of real estate? Well, I never, <laughs> I never thought about that in terms of, uh, of, of how the market reacts to it. But, you know, certainly I think um, I'm not uh, a rural appraisal appraiser, but I'm sure the uh, the evaluators up in uh, the Okanagan and some of the areas that have been uh, affected by these forest fires um, certainly will be looking at trends in values and to see what what kind of market transactions transpire over the next uh, year, two or three. Yeah, because that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I appreciate that because it was kind of a goofy question, but you've actually touched on something that's kind of serious because we're going to talk about uh, residential real estate, about uh, uh, commercial real estate. But let's, let's talk about that right now. What about somebody who's bought a piece of resident or, a, you know, like a recreational property somewhere in a place that's starting to look like there's going to be wildfires every summer. Is that going to affect um, the property value in a concrete uh, concrete way? Well, um, appraisers are very much like purchasers, and they, they quite often go by their first instinct, which is GUT, gut, gut reaction. And... Um, and then they follow it up with uh, evidence if they they start to look for evidence to to support those those types of feelings and i I really do feel that um, as I said earlier, I think you're going to find that there's going to be uh, any any sales that transpire between you know now and the next couple of three years are going to be tracked by realtors by real estate appraisers and by purchasers and and try to figure out um, uh, <laughs> 
are certain areas of, of the province that have traditionally been in, inhabited uh, for recreational properties, are they the best place to, to have the recreational cabin or home? Maybe, maybe not anymore, based on what's going on with climate change and, and the way these forest fires are spreading and the amount of trouble that, that our people are having, all these professionals and the first responders are having uh, controlling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. We're talking to Dan Jones. He's the president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, Campbell-Pound.com, uh, a company that has uh, been around since 1939 in the Lower Mainland. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, so let's talk about just general real estate. Uh, we're we're I don't I don't know if it's fair to say we're post COVID, but we're definitely in a new phase of where we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel from COVID. But overall, now, how do you see uh, the real estate market? Uh, we it, it was just so crazy what happened. It was completely what people didn't expect. The par- prices went through the roof. But in terms of real estate, both commercial and residential real estate, uh, what's the state of the market in this sort of slightly post-COVID environment? Yeah, well, I you know, I, I think the big surprise for everybody was during COVID. Um, I mean, especially when they, they determined there was a vaccine available um, that, that can help control it, uh, we found that, um, you know, the markets that we looked at in the past were really foreign, foreign buyer driven. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about 2016 and uh, a couple of years on either side of that. Um, but when we got into COVID and then the borders had been shut, I mean, clearly this, this whole market was, was British Columbia driven and driven by uh, baby boomers trying to help their, their, their kids get into the market, uh, driven by um, people that had extra money on hand that they had saved and looked at maybe looking at buying investment properties, those types of things. And, and that's where it went. And, of course, it took off like a, like a cannon in the first and, and part of the second quarter of 2021. We saw unprecedented increases in value in, uh, well, you name it, places like Comox, places like Chilliwack. I mean, uh, all the way throughout B.C. saw those kinds of uh, very high uh, activities, multiple offers happening left, right, and center. And uh, I think a lot of it had to do with um, this increased demand, people getting off the fence that had money, and and that in combination with some very low inventory levels, uh, the inventory levels had not kept up with um, with previous years. And it makes sense that the inventory levels didn't keep up because a lot of people went into lockdown and decided, well, whatever their plans were, they put on hold until this COVID thing was under control and over. And uh, in, in between, there was a real estate market that just reacted violently to it. So that's mm-hmm. what... That's my take on it. <laughs> Interesting. And you, you talk about inventory levels. Basically, uh, there's just nothing to buy. Uh, and we went through quite a few months where people w- were, they wanted to buy homes, but there right. just wasn't a lot of product to buy. And that seems to slowly be easing, but it brings up an interesting question. As a real estate appraiser, um, 
that, you know, like when I think of real estate appraisal, I think of, oh, you look at the house, you see what, where, what neighborhood it is, what the structure's like, what, you know, what, what the views are like. But that just goes to show all the little things that people probably don't think about when they're uh, appraising uh, a piece of real estate, what its value is. And I guess that's just one example, but there must be a lot of really uh, sort of uh, specific things that you look for that most people don't look for. Would you say that's correct? Mm, Yeah, I think so. We probably spend a little more time looking at the available inventory in particular areas, um, especially in some of the suburban areas. You know, you get you get some areas in the suburban areas that have, um, um, you know, a heavy weighted amount of inventory. In other words, there's probably a little more listings on the market than you might expect there to be for the demand that's out there. And I think that's where we've gone in the last couple of months. And that's really because more and more properties were coming onto the market. More and more people saw what the sellers saw that it was a seller's market, and they decided to put their property on the market. And unfortunately, some of them might have missed it. Um, some of those properties are still on the market 30, 40, 50 days later, and um, they may require some kind of a price adjustment if the market softens. Um, again, real estate's a long-term thing. It's not something that uh, we look at day-to-day, even month-to-month. I mean, I've seen markets soften throughout the summer for decades, and I've also seen uh, markets in the fall or in the spring bounce back, and and they're temporary adjustments to the value. But overall, it's uh, real estate in in uh, in Canada and in Vancouver is a very secure investment, and. Uh, I would like to say it's constant, but of course it's not. And that really comes down to more and more people getting into the market, creating a higher demand, and this sort of lag behind uh, inventory levels. I haven't seen the inventory levels uh, improve a, a lot in these last couple of months. So the thought is, and, I, and appraisers don't usually forecast, but they do try to put all those factors in place just to... Uh, to see if it if it happens, and and that would be, for example, what's going to happen when they open the borders. If if COVID gets gets uh, wrangled around the neck and gets under control, and they open the borders, now we've got the U.S. market back in, we've got Europe back in, we've got China back in, Japan back in. Um, if we add all those uh, purchasers and possible increased demand to the, these levels of uh, inventory that haven't haven't been keeping up, I fear we could see another another movement that that uh, you know, shakes the market, moves it upwards, creates creates uh, higher demand and, wow. and uh, something like what we saw earlier in the spring. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, we're, we're talking to Dan Jones. Uh, he's the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Campbell-Pound.com is where you can find them. And yeah, so if I'm kind of getting what you're saying is is through COVID, it was kind of a domestic push. People here in the lower mainland buying homes. And you're saying that if the borders open, COVID kind of eases the way we're hoping it would. Um prices could go up even more. Wow. Well, they could. I mean, yeah. um, it may not happen, but 
um, it's it's we talk about that gut feeling that the purchasers get that uh, um, appraisers get that uh, you know all professionals get in their business and this is one of the ones that it's the I don't know factor for sure we have to wait and see but um, if you put all the facts together and you look at the trends over the last four or five up and down markets there's been a lot more ups than there has been downs and, um, right. So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of appraising someone's home. What's the if so if if your job is to go and look at someone's home and appraise them? What's the first thing you look at? Uh, location. Um, mm-hmm. Where is it? Um, what what is it that the market values the most? Uh, those are usually uh, location features. Whether it means being located close to the downtown core located close to a uh, waterfront, a beach, um, those types of things. Being, being located in properties that are unique and where there, there just is a limited amount of them, those types of things, um, those are the very first things we look at. And then, of course, from there we start to look at the property, the building that is sitting on the property and how old it is. Uh, what kind of quality of construction is it? Um, what's the floor plan look like? And is what's the design? Does the design have appeal in the market? If so, um, what about the interior inventory on it? Is the interior inventory, the number of bathrooms, the number of bedrooms, rec rooms, offices, etc., is it in concert, even though the house is a little bit older, with what today's expectations are in the market. And if if it is, it'll probably um, receive a higher value and sell for more in the marketplace. And then, of course, there's all the little things like uh, the renovations that people do over the years. You know, an average house might only last. If if nobody ever renovated a home and didn't upgrade the electrical or upgrade anything in a home, no, no new flooring, no painting, nothing, economic life of a home is about 65 or 70 years. But of course, you can look in Vancouver as a true example of the opposite, which is, you know, many homes are 100 years older plus, same with New mm-hmm. Westminster. Yeah. And the reason they're, they're older is every time somebody does an upgrade or renovation remodeling to a home, they extend the economic life and they reduce the effective age. So one of the things appraisers do is they, they try to assign what's called an effective age as opposed to the chronological age. The chronological age is, you know, what year was the building permit taken out and what time, what, what was the, when was the last nail driven? That's the chronological age. But right, that's really interesting. I'm going to get you to talk about, talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how homes get old and, and when when is it time for a teardown and when is it time for a new build. But we'll also talk about commercial real estate as well. We're talking to Dan Jones. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Dan is the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Campbell-Pound.com is where you can find them on the internet. And we'll continue more with Dan Jones when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. 
Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and we're talking real estate and real estate appraisal with Dan Jones, the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Campbell-Pound.com is the website. And Dan, we were talking about uh, a home's effective age versus the chronological age. And that's a really interesting question to me. I live in a house that was built in 1910. Um, it's gone right. through some, some pretty serious renovations over the years. Um, is there like a point where where you look at a home and you say, that's a teardown? There, there's only so much you can do to save this home. Uh, or can most homes be saved? Well, I think depending on the feasibility of, of a renovation, um, that's kind of the, the, the underlying key factor there. For example, um, if you're living in Vancouver, on the west side of Vancouver, you're looking at 95 to 98% land value. And an old house may, may not make economic sense, but it may make cultural sense. And uh, in terms of what the city wants to see with design and what the market wants to see, you know, a full-on renovation of that house, maintaining the exterior if it's on the heritage list, for example, in the city of Vancouver. Uh, I've seen some really beautiful renovations, uh, remodeling. That, and I always say to my people, like, how do I establish the effective age of the home when, when we know that the base of it and some of the materials in there are over 100 years old? I always say this. I say, okay, well, let's imagine yourself being blindfolded and you're in a dream, and somebody drops you in the middle of the house right into the living room. You open your eyes, and you say to yourself, this house is brand new. I mean, it looks like it, it was just built like last week. It's got every modern gadget, um, the, the up-to-date type of tiling and granite, uh, floor design, everything looks, looks just just as it would if it was a new house. And then you disclose to the person, now this house is actually 100 years old. So what would you say would be the effective age? Well, it would be hard for any professional to say that house is brand new when the market knows it was built 100 years ago. So something like that might have an effective age of 10 years because it has to have something. It has to be worth less than the house that was built right beside it this month, you know, right. and that's sort of, it's, it's, it's not the easiest way, but the reason we, we do effective age, and there's two reasons for it. Uh, the first one is we have to see what stage the, um, the buildings are at. If we find that the effective age on the house is uh, 55 years old and it's got a 65 year life, it's nearing the end of its economic life. And the reason we've given it an older effective age is because there's probably a lack of renovation, a lack of maintenance, a lack of uh, upgrading to the home over, over the decades. And that's what, what is uh, giving it such a low grade. The second reason is if people are refinancing and they're going to a, a lending institution like a bank, a credit union, or a trust company, the first question that the appraiser gets is we need to know the remaining economic life and the remaining economic life, in that last example, I gave you 10 years. So I said the, the effective age is 55 years old. It's, 
It's a 65-year-old life. Well, there's only 10 years remaining of life. So what the bank, credit union, or trust company will do is they'll say to the customer, we can only give you a 10-year amortization on the mortgage payments. And, you know, in terms of what that means is your mortgage payments will be huge and probably not even doable in today's market. So when we look at a house that has a 30-year remaining economic life, the bank will either take the 30 years as the amortization time period for your mortgage payments, or they'll knock five years off. Some banks have that rule, and it's always it's good for you to know that the answer to that when you're when you're applying for your mortgage, because we might say it's 30 years remaining economic life, and they might say, okay, we're going to give you a 25-year mortgage. If we say it's a 40-year 40, 40 life, they might give you a 30-year amortization on the mortgage. And that makes a difference to people. If you talk to some of your mortgage broker clients, um, you will find out that um, the higher the amortization, the lower your payment. It's really a delay of paying interest. You'll end up paying a little more interest, but you're, you will be able to handle the payments maybe easier during the first part of that mortgage. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Dan Jones, business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers, Campbell-Pound.com. And we've been talking a lot about uh, residential real estate, which, um, you know, to me seems a little easier to understand, to to value, because, you know, like you say, location, 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 what's the, the quality of the structure? How much life does it have? But what about real estate or commercial real estate? Um, that seems a whole different thing. What's, what's tricky about valuing commercial real estate versus residential real estate? Well, uh, first and foremost, the, the differences between the two, I'm going to use one word, and, and the word is emotional. <laughs> so residential real estate is emotional because people bring their children up in a home or a property um, they have memories there, and it's it's their home, and it's 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 where they spend most of their life. Um, so when they're when you're talking about the value of their home, it's an emotional investment, not just a financial investment. It's both. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about commercial real estate, um, although there's a little bit of emotion there, most times it's a business investment decision put together by a group of investors or put together by an investor. Um, The reason people have um, commercial real estate is it adds to their portfolio, their holdings, and as an investment. So um, the, the big difference in the marketplace in our business is we get what's called a form report for residential purposes. And that is, it's really a uh, legal size, eight and a half by 14 uh, form report that has, it might be 20 pages long with the photographs, the mapping. Uh, everything is summarized to, to, to the ninth degree. Uh, where, whereas when we do commercial, we have what's called a narrative style report. And the narrative style report is more of a booklet, Sirlox bound that type of thing. It might be 50 to 100 pages long. It depends on how long the consulting or appraisal report would be and how complex it is. Um, 
we do something called uh, the income approach to value, or um, there could be a cash flow methodology if it's a shopping center uh, utilized or, or an office building that's being valued. And the income approach is a very important um, methodology of determining the value. When we do residential, we don't look at the income approach at all because properties don't uh, trade on the open market for the amount of money that they would rent for. Right. So that's generally the difference. The the other thing is that the various units of comparison become um, expanded. Um, density becomes very important. So when we're talking about single family dwellings or a single condominium unit, the density is a density of 1.0. So it's just one unit uh, for right. one property. But we could be talking about a property in South Surrey that has been designated in the official community plan as uh, 30 or 40 townhomes per per acre instead of one unit per acre. So you can see there would be a, a, a very large difference in the value and how the market would perceive the townhouse property versus the single family property. And to, to explain that in a form report is almost impossible. And in, in fact, it would probably violate um, what what we have. We call something... Uh, it, KUSPAP is the name of our rules directory, and it's the uh, keeps appraisers ethically on side with standards of of uh, making sure that they follow all the rules of the Appraisal Institute of Canada. And um, to be honest, you can't you can't give it enough description, and it may be misleading to the public to try and do one of those properties on a uh, a form report. Right. Like, as opposed to like a, a commercial real estate building with a bunch of office offices, you can look at that and you can say, right. well, that's, that's going to rent for this much. That's going to rent for this much. Every month you're going to get this much in rent and this right. is what it's going to cost. And it's, it's all black and white. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing is what they do is in, in commercial properties, many times the, the investors are interested in the overall capitalization rate and the capitalization rate is really uh, a rate of return, if you will. It's, it's uh, the combination of the going interest rate plus the risk rate for the investor to hold the property and to operate it. Those two things put together equal what we call an overall capitalization rate in the market. So when we look at what kind of return one would get on a, I don't know, an apartment block in Kitsilino, it might be as low as 25 3%. And that's because the value of the land is such a high percentage of the entire property value now versus a property that if you took that same uh, apartment block and you went up to Houston, B.C., up in northern B.C. somewhere, you might find that the capitalization rates eight eight or nine percent or seven or eight percent. I'm not sure what they are up there, but I can almost guarantee you it'll be a lot higher than it would in Kitsilino because the land values are much lower. Right. That's why, yeah. yeah, you want your, uh, your office building to be, right. you know, somewhere, somewhere where it's not expensive right. land. And the other thing that's very important is the vacancy rate. They want to know, investors want to know, like, what, what are my chances of renting that property out? And if it's a certain class of property that has a high vacancy rate, they might be a little more leery of it if, uh, as opposed to something like multiple, multiple family residentials have traditionally been the lowest vacancy rates in Vancouver. We've had sub 1% uh, vacancy rates for a long time. I think it increased to around 2% during COVID. 
but it's still very relatively low in terms of yeah. the amount of product that's out there. And I guess COVID has changed a lot. I mean, is is has do you do you see a huge shift now that so many people are working from home in the value of commercial real estate, or do you think it'll just sort of fall back to where? Well, it's, it's, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, Martin. To be to be quite frank, I I saw uh, office um, vacancy rates went as high as about six to seven percent. Um, they've actually calmed down to around five and a half to five point seven five percent at the moment, and it depends where you are. If you're in a suburban area, you'll find that those vacancy rates are are not as bad as they are in the downtown core in Vancouver. Because, you know, when you're in the downtown core of a you know a Calgary and Edmonton or a Vancouver or Toronto, you're looking at um, a lot of property and a lot of space compacted into a very small small area of land. So. You end up looking at the vacancy rates in those areas. They're going to be higher um, than what, the, say, metropolitan area would show, right? Right. And I guess yeah. like parking and stuff is really expensive. <laughs> and then in the suburban True. ones, it's it's not as bad. Well, well, Dan, it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Dan is the business coordinator and president of Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Campbell-Pound.com is the website to go. There's a whole bunch of interesting stuff on the website. Campbell-Pound.com. And uh, you enjoy uh, the rest of your summer. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks very much for having me, Martin. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Dan Jones. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. And uh, coming up, if you like to look into the sky, I've got some advice for you on how you can see some amazing things in the sky. That's when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW right after this. Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. Thanks to Dan Jones. Uh, the president and business coordinator for Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. You can go to campbell-pound.com for uh, all your appraisal needs, whether it's uh, uh, commercial real estate or residential real estate. They are the experts. They've been there since 1939. Imagine what real estate appraisal was like in 1939. Uh, I'm guessing a little cheaper to buy real estate in 1939. Um, but yeah, so uh, campbell-pound.com is the number. And I also wanted to mention, if you are look, if you're one of those people who likes to look up into the sky and see something really, really amazing, uh, according to the experts, uh, most of August will offer prime viewing in Metro Vancouver for one of the best meteor showers of the year. And the great thing is the best night for it is this Thursday and Friday night, uh, especially coming from the north, northeast part of the sky. The Perseid meteor shower uh, offers a bunch of bright shooting stars for a breathtaking summer display. And best of all, uh, the Perseid uh, is one of the easiest to view from the northern hemisphere. According to space.com, um, every year the Perseids are available or are viewable as earth passes through the path of comet swift Tuttle. Uh, and that's from July 17th to August 24th. But as I say, the strongest, uh, time to see it is this Thursday and Friday night, uh, meteors can streak across the sky in all directions. However, uh, the direction is not 
vitally important. I mean, you should be looking in the north, northeast part of the sky, but the experts say looking up is the most important part. Pre-dawn hours are also the best. So, um, you know, if you want to wake yourself up at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m., that's probably the best time, maybe even a little earlier. Uh, and this year, the great thing is the moon is just coming out of new moon and heading towards first quarter during the peak nights of the shower. So there is less light in the sky. So you're going to see more. Uh, you should also try to get out of the city if you can, where light pollution may diminish the display's brightness. So here's what you do, according to the experts. It's pretty simple. Thursday and Friday night, you, uh, you know, wait till it's really, really dark. You lay down on the grass and you look north. And if you don't see anything for a few minutes, don't give up. Give it a good hour because meteors come in bursts. And, uh, and then it can go quiet for a while. So this Thursday and Friday night, it's the Perseid meteor shower and, uh, look generally look up obviously, and look to the North Northeast sky. This is Vancouver consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin strong. And that's it for us this week. Uh, we're around from two to four every Saturday. So, uh, we will see you next week. Have a great, great rest of the weekend. And the global news is coming up next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.